I bring this up at the beginning of our time this weekend because I think Christ's question to them on that day is an important question for us in our day. What have you been talking about? It's a wonderfully loaded question for these disciples headed to Emmaus, the place that some commentators speculate would be the next best location to find an alternative Messiah since Jesus seemingly to them had failed. Whatever reason, Jesus, disguised from their view, clearly asks the question to draw them out in a teachable moment where he takes them back to scripture and back to himself. Good preaching always does these two things. Back to scripture and back to himself. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 218. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you heard is our guest for this week, uh, Tim Chaddock. Uh, He is the pastor for preaching at Reality Ventura. He also is the founding and planting pastor of Reality Church London and also Reality LA. Uh, He spoke at our recent in-person training event in Costa Mesa, California, and what a great, strong start to a great gathering that we had uh, back earlier this year. Uh, Tim talks about, you know, five of the valuable reasons why he and we believe in expository preaching. And so if you are experiencing the the post-Easter blues right now, or if you are, um, you know, getting ready to get back into the pulpit again, uh, this is hopefully going to really encourage you in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. Here's Tim Chaddock. Friends, it's so good to be with you um, today. I'm so thrilled, and in a twist of irony, I'm going to quote a passage in a non-expository manner as an introduction for our time together. Uh, But the saving grace is that this passage will, I'm told, be rightly divided later on, and so I stand justified. It is a familiar passage to many of us, the road to Emmaus, where Jesus, disguised from his followers, reveals himself. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you talking about as you walk along the way. Not recognizing who was walking next to them, these disciples explained their struggle with what seemed to be the failed messianic mission of Jesus. And yet with words that we'll explore in more detail throughout the conference, Jesus redirects their conversation back to scripture and ultimately to himself. And so he says, how foolish you are. Gotta love Jesus. 
and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I bring this up at the beginning of our time this weekend because I think Christ's question to them on that day is an important question for us in our day. What have you been talking about? It's a wonderfully loaded question for these disciples headed to Emmaus, the place that some commentators speculate would be the next best location to find an alternative Messiah since Jesus seemingly to them had failed. Whatever reason, Jesus, disguised from their view, clearly asks the question to draw them out in a teachable moment where he takes them back to scripture and back to himself. Good preaching always does these two things, back to scripture and back to himself. And so we must ask, what have we been talking about? Well, Jesus, we've been mainly talking as experts on politics, expounding on political theory and which form of government is the true representation of the kingdom of God on earth. Well, Jesus, we have been talking about what it really means to follow the science, explaining the intricacies of medical practices and indeed which cloth material can or cannot provide maximum protection for humans. Well, Jesus, we've been talking about global affairs and the nuances of foreign policies and speculating about the future of all nations. Well, Jesus, we've been talking about psychology, brain rewiring, health and wellness, and whether or not Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram should be included alongside ancient creeds and the Westminster Catechism. Now, I jest because I've probably literally preached all of these things. And indeed, many topics do call for pastoral attention. But we must understand the manner in which we are to do so. We need to talk about sexual ethics But my role, your role, is to show people what Scripture has to say about sexual ethics. We need to talk about gender. But my job, your job, is to reveal what Scripture has to say about gender. We need to talk about race. We need to talk about injustice. We need to talk about care for the poor. But our job, my job, your job, is to show what Scripture has to say on these truths so that people are not left with what I have had to say, but hopefully what Scripture teaches. I suppose this is always true, but it feels particularly true in this moment. We desperately need to return to Scripture to explain and expose the truth to the heart, which is what expository preaching is all about. To quote my favorite balanced Brit, John Stott, may he rest in peace and rise in glory. Shout out, John Stott. In his book, Between Two Worlds, says, to expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, 
makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. As we do well to remember, expository preaching is less about a style, per se. It's more about the content of a sermon. And in a cultural moment where there is daily, if not hourly, pressure to respond to whatever the pressing need of the moment is, or even to discover people's personal preferences, there is a danger that we can end up with a distorted view of the Bible where we cherry-pick the bits that we like and leave out the parts that we don't like or perhaps are blind to because of our own biases. And that will ultimately leave us, sadly, with a distorted view of God. Oftentimes, the emphasis can be on the personality of the preacher or perhaps the spectacle of a service or the relevance of a topic or the routine of a tradition as the driving force for the church community. But let me be clear, we should want to grow in our ability to communicate. It's one of the reasons why you are here. We want to work hard and think about how we order and arrange our services, of course. And there are times where we need to, as we're using discernment and led by the Holy Spirit, to speak prophetically into the different needs of the moment, of course. There's also beauty in the history of the church, absolutely, There are some benefits to topical or thematic preaching such as evangelism or celebrating particular times in the church calendar like Easter or Advent or speaking directly to a cultural or historical moment. Absolutely. However, what we're arguing for, what we're advocating for, I suppose, is that expository preaching should be the regular diet of the church, the regular diet of the church, in my humble opinion, should be expository preaching. And my job is just to get you a little excited or perhaps remind you or bring a little more confidence into why that is. So let me just give you five values of expository preaching and why it seems so particularly crucial in this moment in time. And the first is this. Expository preaching displays Scripture's inspiration. It's one of the things that it does. Expository preaching puts on display for your hearers to see, as it were, the inspiration of Scripture. As Paul said to Timothy famously in his second letter, that all Scripture is inspired and what? Profitable. It's inspired, it's God-breathed, and it is also profitable for you. We convey the conviction, I think we all share, that all of Scripture is inspired by God through our willingness to work through all the books and not just particular themes or sections. We're showcasing the inspiration of Scripture by doing this. 
And as you draw out the meaning of each text and you make your appeals from the text and work through the rich variety of the biblical text, we are building confidence in the hearts of our hearers that all scripture, not just some of scripture, is inspired by God. In fact, I'm sure you found this to be true, whether you're preaching primarily to young people or you haven't even started preaching yet and you're getting ready, that's why you're here, or you've been preaching for decades. I think one thing you will find or you have found in your experience is that some of the passages or books you may be most tempted to avoid prove to be the most fruitful in your church. In our years in Los Angeles, I remember preaching through the book of Hosea. It's like, wow, this book should come with a match because it's gonna be quite explosive given the sexual brokenness of our congregation and there might be a temptation to want to avoid it and yet it produced one of the most incredible seasons of fruitfulness. The book of Ecclesiastes, one of my personal favorite books of the Bible, if I can have one, is that a thing? I love Ecclesiastes. Many people are like, why is this in the Bible? But going through it as a church, we found that it addressed in all of its rich diversity so many important topics, but in a way that it was rooted in the story of Scripture, whether it was about ambition, or it was about injustice, or it was about relationships, whether it was about sexuality, whether it was about wisdom and knowledge. People were shown these things by going through Scripture. We also believe that the Word works in our hearts as illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible, we believe, is not just you know, information, but leads to transformation. That's why the book of Hebrews says the Word of God is living and active. Or as some scholars put it, God's power in verbal form. I love that. Without this confidence and conviction that all of Scripture is the Word of God, you know what happens? We tend to overemphasize our own personal experience or perhaps a particular tradition as the source of our confidence. Of course, there's nothing wrong with sharing our personal experience. Of course, there's nothing wrong with our traditions per se, but that's not divinely inspired. So what impression am I leaving? But if we believe that all scripture is inspired and profitable, then we display this as we take care to explain and expose the text, not just the parts we agree with or like or are comfortable with, which leads to the second value. Expository preaching sets our agenda. I'm a big fan of this point. Paul, of course, when he left the Ephesian elders, he said, I did not shrink back or hold back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, which is also helpful to you. Expository preaching sets the agenda. What I mean by that is committing to a book or books of the Bible or working through select passages, but in a expository way, we're demonstrating to our hearers that we are submitting to where the text takes us, not the other way around. Now, having said that, of course, we need to prayerfully consider which books we will preach through, of course. But even within each book, there are all kinds of themes and topics that you, know, you may not have anticipated. This happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, we should teach through 1 Thessalonians because I love this, but I forgot about that one little passage that actually brings up this. Well, that's interesting, but we're gonna go where scripture takes us. In fact, I'm sometimes surprised at the way in which those topics or themes arise 
through books in a way that I did not expect or anticipate. The flip side, I suppose, is a more topical approach tends to be driven, not always, but tends to be driven by the preacher themselves, or maybe the opinions or desires of the congregation or a tradition like the church calendar. Again, I believe that there are right times for this, but I would just argue that the diet, the pattern, should be for us to let the text set the agenda. It can help us resist the pressure only to address some topics while avoiding others. When we planted in LA in 2005, our congregation for many years, especially in the first five or six years, was particularly young. So every week, it's like, when are you gonna preach on singleness? Every week, didn't matter what I was preaching on. It could be like the doctrine of the Trinity. When are you gonna talk about singleness? Preaching on money. When are you gonna talk about singleness? Like, where's the singles ministry? I'm like, the church is a singles ministry, like literally. (laughs) But what I found is we just kind of stuck to it and going through scripture that even the passages on marriage, our hearers found that that was so important for their theology for their understanding of the whole storyline of the Bible because it begins in Genesis, the relationship between God and his people and the two becoming one and then Christ and the church and the book of Revelation and you know the marriage of heaven and earth. Like, man, this is a part of my theology. It's a beautiful thing when we go through the text and we realize that maybe the things that we thought we most needed to hear wasn't actually what we most needed to hear working through the text and allowing the text to lead us is a wonderful way of setting the agenda for ourselves and for our churches. In short, we should let the text control our sermons, not our sermons controlling the text. Right, we've all been there. You've got this brilliant idea, like I'm gonna preach on this and I'm gonna use this passage for it. But as you study, you're like, oh, it doesn't really doesn't really fit. I'm going to make it fit. You know, I'm going to force it in there because I'm going to preach on this topic. Oh, so many great, in my opinion, sermons just went into the bin because they didn't quite, my idea didn't quite match the text. I remember meeting with a friend. He was part of a very different tradition for me. He was becoming kind of widely known as this circuit preacher. And I asked him how he was preparing when I was meeting with him um, on this one occasion, said, oh, what are you gonna preach on this Sunday? Well, he said, I was just praying and I was just reading Matthew and Jesus, you know, he, before he preached the Sermon on the Mount, it said he went up to the mountain. I was like, that's it, we're going higher. That's gonna be my sermon, we're going higher. And so he continued to preach what had actually nothing to do with the Sermon on the Mount. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's what the text means. It's important that we not have our sermons control the text, but allow the text to control the sermon. And this actually brings about confidence, which leads to the third value. Expository preaching reveals true authority. I love Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church when he says, hey, when I preached to you, I'm glad because you received the word, the preaching, not as a human word, but the word of God, which is what it is. Expository preaching reveals true authority. Through expository preaching, we're essentially communicating that we ourselves are not the authority on all these matters. Rather, Scripture is the authority. The authority is not so much my view or opinion, 
but I'm hopefully pointing people to wrestle with the text itself. Otherwise, people can just say, well, that's your opinion. And they can kind of, you know, remove themselves from accountability or conviction. The Bible is the authority. And as we're submitting to expository preaching, we're showing that to be so. And because the Bible is the authority and not me and not you, that produces, it's very counterintuitive, it produces incredible boldness and authority in your preaching. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't get excited on a Sunday or whenever it is you're gonna go to preach. You're like, oh man, I've got this killer story. <laughs> like, I want them to meet with God. And the only way that, I don't know about you, but I'm not naturally a courageous person. I'm very timid by nature. But it's only as I'm like wrestling with the text, I'm like, this is awesome that I like forget myself and I just get excited for them to meet with God in the text. It reveals true authority. Even boldness on topics that maybe you yourself are not very experienced in. Very helpful for me. John Stott was often asked why he was qualified to teach on marriage when, as you may know, he was single his whole life. And he simply replied by saying that scripture is the authority and as a preacher of the Bible, he regularly taught on things that he had not personally experienced and also quipped, I have to preach on death all the time and yet I have not died. (laughs) (laughs) The authority of preaching does not come from the experience of the preacher, but the exposition of the text. Is, can it be helpful if you've experienced? Absolutely. But we're not the Bible. My story is not the Bible. And so in as much as my story or my experience can help illustrate or apply, sure, we all do that. It's great. We're helping people to grasp it. But hopefully they don't leave our gatherings or our services saying, what a story, but what a scripture. Expository preaching reveals this authority, the authority of the word of God. There's another value of this, and not just for the preacher. Fourth value, expository preaching promotes biblical literacy. Paul says to Timothy, read scripture regularly. And as you explain and as you expose your people to biblical texts, In sermons, you emphasize and model that they are to and how to read the Bible in everyday life. Hopefully in our our teaching, we are helping them to observe the the context and the language of a passage that we're gonna learn about this weekend. Discover its meaning and how to rightly apply that. And as we do, we're helping our people to become familiar with reading the Bible for themselves. Especially if you've been like me in LA and London, very transient cities, right? I remember listening to all the Chuck Smith tapes when I was in Bible college over 20 years ago. And one of the things that struck me is, man, this guy went through the Bible with people, most of whom never left Orange County. My people in LA, I'm lucky if I have them for a year. That may be the only amount of time I have them for. So what I wanna do is model for them, hopefully how to handle the text so that when they leave my church and they leave LA, hopefully they forget all my great stories, though some of them were great few of them. But hopefully they're like, I have a better understanding of how to read my Bible because of what I learned when we gather together around scripture. Now, one of the criticisms of expository preaching is that it often fails to show the unity of all of scripture, the themes and all the the doctrines, which is 
easier to deliver in a more topical method. But I would respond by suggesting that expository preaching done rightly will help the listener look at the text in context of the chapter and the chapter in context of the book, the book in context of the whole story, and the whole story is about what? Jesus. And that's the last thing. Expository preaching leads to Christ. If expository preaching, to expose, to uncover, is about understanding and explaining the context of passages, chapters, and books, then we must absolutely place every sermon in context of what the Bible is all about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Friends, doing the work of expositional preaching when done rightly will always lead to Christ. And leading people to Christ is what brings change. And so it was when the disciples on the road to Emmaus realized that they had been with Jesus, they reflected on being in his presence by saying, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I think you're here because you know your people need the word of God. I think we're here and we do what we do because other people need to hear about Jesus. And to know, understand, and follow Jesus, we need the scriptures. And to know and understand the scriptures, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we open the word ourselves and as it is opened by gifted preachers and teachers. So that hopefully when other people ask, what have you been talking about? We can say, well, we've been talking about Jesus from all of scripture, for all of life. May that be our goal. Our people need Jesus. And that's what we can give them as we rightly handle the word of truth. Mike has asked me to pray for us right now as we begin our time. And I would love to do so with that thought in mind for every one of us. So I'd love for you if you just would bow your head and take this moment of quiet and what I suppose may have been a very busy day journeying here. And even if you're so inclined, just put out your hands in like a posture of receiving, hopefully representing the posture of your heart. And we pray together, Father, we want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to know your word. We want to preach your word faithfully. We want to rightly divide your word because people need forgiveness. People need redemption. People need the gospel. People need wisdom. People need power. God, we humbly submit ourselves to you and ask that you would use this time to train us and equip us and excite us, put a fire in our hearts to preach your word, to preach your gospel, to present Jesus to our hearers. So to that end, would you guide our time together, the breakouts, the discussions, everything that's going to happen to this time. To that end and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Thanks to you for listening all the way to the end. 
So this is a recording from one of our in-person training events. And as I mentioned, this took place in Costa Mesa, California in the beginning of 2022. And we're working towards our next event. It's going to be taking place in Boise, Idaho in October. And so keep listening, keep connected, make sure that you're signed up for our email list or that you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, or connected to our Facebook private group. Because as we get closer to October, you're going to be hearing more about those that are joining us as main session speakers or small group leaders or mentors that are going to be available in October in Boise, Idaho. All right. Make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast, either on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get content. Uh, because next week, next Tuesday morning, uh, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Adam Copenhaver. And he and I had a great conversation about the right and the wrong ways to include stories in your sermons. There are cringy ways of telling stories and really valuable and illuminating ways of following Jesus in including and using stories in our Bible teaching and preaching. All right, make sure that you're subscribed so it automatically shows up in your app next Tuesday. All right, God bless.